this is his apartment. You mean Thomas Anderson's? I searched everywhere. He doesn't exist. He, he stopped being Thomas a long time ago, but maybe you know him by his real name. Neo. You do? Oh, okay. Uh, I can't believe it. After all these years. You see, most people think that Neo is dead. But I know he's not. Because I've seen him. Where? It's not something I can explain easily, but... But the moment he looked at me, I felt something... Unlock my mind. Okay. Something like that happened to me. I saw this pattern, and it was everywhere. We can't see it, but we're all trapped inside these strange repeating loops. Somehow I saw it in the mirror, just a flicker, but it was like you said. And suddenly I understood. This is not the real world. For the first time, I felt real purpose. I knew who I was and what I had to do. Who are you? What do you have to do? I am Morpheus, and I have to find Neo. You're out of here. I, I need to figure out who built this modal. Okay, so to come with me. You have to be ready to leave. You have to be really ready. And if you're not, if you think that this is where you belong. You call this a choice? Oh, honestly, when somebody offered me these things, I went off of binary conceptions of the world and said that there was no way I was swallowing some symbolic reduction in my life. And the woman with the pills laughed because I was missing the point. What point? The choice is an illusion. You already know what you have to do. Truth. Something wrong? Uh, just a little crash. Morning, Bobby. Morning, dude. What a beautiful day to be alive, am I right? Problemo? You lost something. Is this old Matrix code? A little modal experiment. For binary? I need a coffee. Coffee, yes, stat. I'm buying. I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass, but the first time I played the trilogy, I was shook. The paradox between free will and destiny. Are we all just algorithms doing what we're supposed to do, or can we escape our programming? Genius inside the context of a game, BT dubs. Hey, did I tell you it took over my life? Yeah, I failed the seventh grade. <laughs> Your game almost ruined me. So you'd say. Yet here we are. You tell me, Mr. Anderson. 
Is it free will or destiny? Oh, yeah. There she is. Total effing MILF. Daggers. Look, I'm sorry. McGeek. It's raised by machines. Maybe you should go. No, no please. I, I promise. Best self. Best self. You ever talk to her? Tell you what, for all you've done for me, let me do this for you. Dude, no, stop. Excuse me. Thanks. Excuse me. Hi. Um, I know this is all a bit extemporaneous. I'm Jude Gallagher. I work for a game company called Deus Machina. Hi, Jude. I'm Tiffany. Tiffany. Wow. Didn't see that coming. Mom loved Audrey Hepburn. Too. Oh, and uh, this is my very good friend, Thomas Anderson. He is a bona fide famous person and considered by most to be the greatest game designer of our generation. I'm sorry about this. Too. She's really just talked to her. Hi, right Thomas. Everyone calls me Chip. Hi. Have we met? We both come here. Can I have your morning bun? Hey, you trying to blow my mom or what? Brandon. Uh, Can I have the bite? Hey, welcome back, everybody. I think it's been two weeks since we connected here. Um, I've got a, a theme I'd like to draw out here, um, built based on our latest blog post, which is Inspiration is the New Economy. And I'll share that up, of course, on the, on the show notes. Um, that opening was Matrix Resurrections. I was very surprised how much I enjoyed that. <laughs> I'm not sure if it was exactly on the same level as the original trilogy, but close, close enough and worth my time. And I could see that there was a ton of spiritual allegory, I think, is what you'd say. Um, so I went looking for analysis. Well, my old friend Mark Passio, not personal friend, I, I mean, I used to follow him closely, uh, has a two-part series on talking about the allegory in that film. Um, it might be five hours total analysis but it's outstanding so i'd like to recommend all of that i will i will uh include that of course as well um but i enjoyed it there it had a fresh look and a fresh feel and but it's still built on some of the past themes um so anyway uh hope hope you do too anyhow i i'll i'll get into the theme here in a second but i just want to start by um going over a few new sources and a few old favorites, basically. Uh, John Rappaport. <laughs> I, I was following him on a couple of uh, social networks before Corona, but for some reason, I don't know, he just fell through the cracks. I just wasn't keeping, keeping up to him at all uh, in the last couple of years, but somehow he's come back to me now. And... Um, and I'm just so, I think the, 
the bent he's on right now is where we all need to, need to get to uh, that personally, but it's really about uh, the imagination of the individual. And this is where the inspiration theme is coming from. So the recent blog post kind of hashes out some of that, but I want to build on a slightly different angle today. Um, but no more fake news.com. That's John Rappaport. He's actually got two blogs, uh, three blogs, um, and a new podcast as well. But I just love where his head's at these days. And he's gone deep on every, uh, every rabbit hole. <laughs> so he's coming from a really, uh, solid perspective on all this. Anyhow, so he's, he's, he's new to me. Uh, he's new again to me, I guess I'd say. I never followed him that closely back in the old days, so I'm, I'm really glad to rediscover him. Um, RFK Jr., Bobby Kennedy Jr., has a podcast called The Defender. Absolutely outstanding. He keeps them really short, less than 30 minutes, but outstanding guests, outstanding commentary. So can't recommend that enough. Um, now, a few of my old favorites uh, that aren't letting me down at all. Uh, well, Del Big, Del Big Tree, Jeff Berwick, and E. Michael Jones, those three, consistent and outstanding. I'd say Dr. Jones has gone on hiatus for a couple of weeks. He was, maybe he was getting overexposed, I'm not sure. Or he had to leave, or maybe he just went and worked on his latest book, I'm not sure. <laughs> but he's been quiet for maybe two or three weeks, but he's back again now. Um, and another old favorite, Ole Damagard, and his wife Kim is now really active in in the content um, and they're such a great combination. They did a sofa talks um, through Corona, which was really nice. Um, but the combination of, because Ole is, he's built an expertise on rabbit holes and false flags and Kim uh, has her own perspective. Uh, anyway, as a co combined team, I feel like they've got a new look and feel and um, they're keeping up all of the contact content uh, now um, and an outstanding guests as well. So I'll, I'll be including them as well. Uh, Patrick Coffin never lets me down. He's um, uh, just consistent. Uh, sometimes he'll have, like he's, he's, I would say, some kind of a Hollywood type junkie <laughs> of the old and so sometimes he'll have he'll have material that's kind of on an interest like along those lines. But he's he's done he does a lot of great work around Catholicism and what's working and what's not there, and then also on Corona. Um, Whitney Webb, same thing, never lets me down. I just listened to a latest clip. I haven't been keeping up with her articles, but I when she is on a podcast. Reviewing her latest article, I will jump on that and keep up on the keep up on the the depth there and the detail. In terms of closing, I've got two clips from Michael Jones. Might have been two weeks ago. Two of my favorite clips of just really really hard hitting insights. So I'll combine those at the end. And after the music, I will tack on my favorite speech from Coriolanus. I just think, I don't know why <laughs> this speech keeps coming to me. And, uh, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's moving and meaningful. So if you want to hang in to the end of the music, it'll be there. Um, now 
this the theme in terms of inspiration i didn't really see this coming exactly it's definitely going to be playing into my own life even more than ever I, i'm sure i hope <laughs> in the in the coming year but um uh, i'd say the two more tangible ways it's hit me recently is one through the evil knievel story and another one through the wizard of oz but I'll talk about the Evil Knievel first. Um, there are at least two great documentaries. One on being evil, and I think that was maybe six or eight years ago. Um, and it's his whole story, Evil Knievel's whole story. And then the second one that I'm most of the way through now is Chasing Evil, and that's his son, Bobby. And... Uh, I just found <laughs> it's not just because I'm kind of in the general vicinity of his upbringing, um, but I just found the whole story and legacy quite moving. He really created a, a space that's now commonplace. I mean, the daredevil space and jumps and uh, he, he just invented that really <laughs> and broke new ground. Um, and, and I, I think in the case of evil, he, um, he epitomized so many of these admirable American characteristics, which really, you know, rallied everybody. Uh, of course, he had his own demons. And so later in life, um, the demons started taking over, I think you could say. And, uh, and his professional career ended up in a series of tragedies. And he, I'm sure he, he battled with booze. And he never was able to rebond with his wife and his kids. And all of that's tragic. Um, but, but he really went for it <laughs> and he really lived. Uh, you know, so that it's a, it's a heartbreaking story of a guy that really tried to live. And I, it seemed to me, I don't, I didn't follow his story in real life uh, other than these two documentaries. But um, it did seem to me that he hit a stride of golden years, even though he was unable or unwilling to reconcile with his family in his later years. But um, but the uh, this, the um, chasing evil, the son, his son Bobby, um, is a fantastic story because you could even see against one another. So he had two sons, I think. And, um, and one of them, one of them was incredibly perfectly suited for that daredevil life and lifestyle. And his brother stepped out of it early on. But anyhow, um, evil was trying to promote them and bring them the shows and give them a platform. And the, his, the son Bobby had an unbelievable talent in this space. And you could even see them riding next to each other sometimes, Evil and his son. And you could see that Bobby had was was just completely integrated <laughs> with the motorcycle. Um, and so this is where this theme is coming to me. Uh, so Evil Knievel, uh, unbelievable great traits, but obviously a lot of pride and ego driving some of that. Well, you could you could see in a couple of scenes that he's threatened. He's threatened by the talent of his of his junior, and um, 
and that created a lot of conflict between them. And and I'm not sure Bobby, I haven't followed Bobby since this documentary, but I'm not sure he's got past it yet. <laughs> because so the, to me, the theme that I'm trying to articulate here is um, inspiration is the new economy. Yes. But we've got a whole bunch of us that are experienced and seasoned and pissed off with the whole situation and trying to help in every way we can. But somehow we've got to combine that with with uh, giving liftoff to the next generation. That's where the real ingenuity and innovation and inspiration is going to come from. Give what we've got to help the liftoff to the younger bunch um, to launch what they can come up with. Because really, to me, imagination is the scarcity. And I don't know exactly how this has happened. I mean, how do you, how do you contain imagination? I don't know. But it's, you can see in music and films, I mean, how many, they, they reuse all the same actors <laughs> in all of the major films. All of the major films are franchises or sequels or spinoffs, TV as well. I mean, it doesn't make any sense that our imaginations have been contained or stunted somehow. <laughs> and so us older ones that have somehow allowed this to happen, unwittingly, obviously, um, we've got to be working on investing and setting the launch pad for the next generation because these people are I mean the younger people when you interact with them some of them are so incredibly sharp and switched on they just need a they just need a head in the right direction and have some support really um, so that's what I could see in that evil evil and Bobby story that the temptation for the father to to not be um, upstaged by his son was too great. Um, and that's really what I experienced last night here. So uh, my son was in The Wizard of Oz um, and I had to watch online because I'm not close enough to to attend. But um, it was really fun for me to see a live performance, high school performance of, of The Wizard of Oz. Unbelievably well done and unbelievable talent. So that was in my mind. Well, where I am, they're offering Wizard of Oz. I didn't know. I thought it was a high school performance. So I just thought, oh, that's, that'll be cool for me to see it in person, <laughs> you know, that I can experience locally. Well, it turns out it's a community performance. Well, and it was extremely well done, so don't get me wrong on that. But what I saw last night was an unbelievably great performance, but... No comparison to the energy that it could have been if they let the high school students and the middle school students do it. So you've got a bunch of old timers who who have talent and experience clearly, but they're the ones putting themselves in the lead roles. <laughs> uh, why aren't they coaching and helping the the best up and coming talent to do those roles? This this is the uh, and uh, so. They overdid it. It was probably over rehearsed. It, there were scenes that didn't seem to be necessary. It was too long. And there were kids in the audience that were bored out of their minds. And I'm just like, this, there's something not right. I, I don't know exactly <laughs> how this has happened. But if the, 
if the energy all went into helping the next up-and-coming talent launch themselves, um, it would have been a completely different, different energy. Anyhow, I really have always loved that scene where Toto goes into the booth and pulls the curtain back on the wizard. And uh, they really did a great job of it last night. But um, it reminds me that really that Plato's cave is what we're up against right now. This is It just seems more and more obvious to me. Um, I was lucky. A lot of it was luck, uh, being able to sidestep Corona and all of the palava associated with Corona. Um, and so then when now I've reintegrated back to call it the developed world, I mean, I wasn't going to get worked up about Ukraine. And I'm, I, I know it's, I know it's all up in the air still. And I know there's a lot of risk of a lot of collateral damage happening to, that will happen. But in terms of a wag the dog, I mean, it looks textbook, wag the dog. And so to me, it's just a reminder that what we're mostly seeing are, is the shadow puppets um, of Plato's Cave, which is the Wizard of Oz. That scene has got some some parallels there. Um, and so if you just... if if you're able, and this is just starting to come to me now, that when I hear these some of these narratives, I just see a shadow puppet. And especially if you can make it a bit funny <laughs> for yourself. It doesn't get your adrenaline going. It doesn't get your fear going. It just makes you have a laugh and, and should uplift you and give you and inspire you. Um, nuclear war is one. Okay, so I'm not sure I believe in nuclear war, just for the record. Uh, but anyway, when they talk about nuclear war and cold war and try and work you up and you're, if they get you into that fear state, that's what's going to kill your imagination. If you're able to see it for what it is, like this is a shadow puppet. These people, <laughs> the, call them the oligarchs or the elite or the controller class or the social engineers, they're incredibly controlling. I really don't think that they'll do anything that they don't have perfect control over. So that's what one of the um, angles of what Corona, to me, they're not going to let anything loose. They're going to control it. And so what can they control perfectly? The narrative is what they control perfectly. So if they can just tell you a, a scary story on online or on, on the TV, that, that why would they do anything else if they get people worked up by just telling a scary story? So that, that <laughs> to me, um, that's what's happening. And, uh, and don't get me wrong, there's tragedy happening. Yemen, uh, Syria, Libya, there's tragedy happening at all in the wake of all of this. And Ukraine is at severe risk. But at the same time, it's a shadow puppet to try and contain to contain the imagination, contain contain the inspiration, and I don't. I mean, we kind of know where they're trying to take us. The digital IDs, digital currency, one world, everything. Um, and to me, what's required, and this is another angle on on the uh, inspiration theme. But what's required is a David and Goliath dynamic. So you've got this Goliath 
of of the controller class or the elite class that have engineered all this for like years. I mean, you can see sitcoms in the 50s that were planting seeds towards this now. So they've been engineering this for years. To me, that's Goliath. Um, and David comes along and he gets ingenious, innovative, inspired, and he doesn't even know what he's not supposed to know. And he, and he takes down Goliath. That's to me <laughs> what we're supposed to be inspiring our kids and the youth around us to be doing. Uh, this is how I, how I see it <laughs> playing out anyway. So please enjoy these clips, um, from Dr. Jones and uh we will all get back together in hopefully two weeks all right take care i'm neil mcdougall and as painful as it is logos is definitely rising but that, again, it's one of those branches on the tree that goes back and back and back to all of the social engineering that got imposed on the world after World War II by the United States of America, especially in Germany. And my point, the point I'm trying to make here is uh, the crucial country in this regard is Germany because that was the most ruthless form of social control. They, because there was no there was no resistance. The Germans were conquered people, and so they had no resistance. So one of your readers mentioned uh, Das Hungerjahr, 1946-47, when the Jew Morgenthau tried to starve the Germans to death. Uh, that was replaced by uh, the Marshall Plan. The Morgenthau Plan was replaced by the Marshall Plan. But that was still social engineering, and that became uh, uh, pornography. So under the Marshall Plan, Germany is flooded with pornography. Now, it doesn't look like Internet pornography today. We probably wouldn't even think it's pornography, but that's not important. It was transgressive of the sensibilities, the Zittlichkeit of, uh, uh, of the German people at that time, and they perceived it as such. So you have uh, uh, Cardinal Frings, the man who stood up to the Allies when it came to Das Hungerjahr and told the Germans to go take the food out of the warehouse. It's not theft. Take the coal from the train. It's not theft. After that, after he wins that battle, now he's fighting obscenity. He's got the Volkswagenbund, the German Legion of Decency. He's the great supporter of that. And they are going, uh, there is an allied attempt to basically subvert morality, sexual morality in Germany at this time. First sin, uh, first movie is Die Sünderin. Die uh, Hildegard Kneff marries a Jew, goes to Hollywood, and then they send her back and she does a code breaker for uh, the German cinema. And then the crucial moment comes in 1964. 1964, okay? What happened in 1964? 1959, Cardinal Frings meets a German, a brilliant German theologian by the name of Joseph Ratzinger. He invites Joseph Ratzinger down to Rome as his paritus, as his expert, and they get to Rome, and basically Ratz, Frings becomes Ratzinger's mouthpiece, and the first thing they do is throw out the preliminary documents 
that were written by Cardinal Ottaviani. That those preliminary documents talked about the danger, not talking about the communism, that's a danger, but they also talked about the danger of Hollywood and psychoanalysis. Now, what group has Hollywood and psychoanalysis in common? This is the Jews. We're talking about Jews from America and the threat that they pose to the Catholic Church. Ratzinger throws it out, brings in a whole new idea, a whole new paradigm. We have to be positive now. Not no no more negative, no more modernist oath, anti-modernist oath, no more syllabus of errors. We're going to be positive. The church has nothing to fear from the modern world. That's Gaudium et Spes. Now he says this in 64. This is the very moment that in Germany, the code got broken. 64, Frings is now distracted down in Rome by the Second Vatican Council, and the Jews, uh, actually it's Harry Schein, uh, a Swedish Jew, collaborating with Ingmar Bergman, they release a film called The Silence, uh, which breaks the code. But it's art. That's why they brought Bergman in. He was the he was the epitome of cinematic art. So the Germans are confused. They are being attacked by the Allies, uh, who are still in charge, and they're saying this is freedom of speech. And they turn to the church, and the church is missing in action. Missing in action because they're down at Rome, not something because they're down at Rome, but because Ratzinger says, we don't need, this is an embarrassment to talk about this schmutz und schunt all the time. It's negative. And so as a result, they run up the white flag. The church abandons its own legion of decency, which is exactly what they did in America as well. The, the obscenity is given free reign. And once that happens, the Jews take over your culture. And the, there's a direct line between that, what I just said, and the German Synod, the report from the German Synod, which came out two days ago, in which the Zynodal Weg in Deutschland uh, says that the German people want, uh, let the divorced and remarried receive communion, and we have to change the church's teaching on homosexuality. That is all a function of the destruction of sexual morality that took place beginning in 1964. Beans here, aren't they spilling the beans? What is That's their motivation? Yeah. I, I think there's only one motivation here, and it's guilt. Huh. Okay. Why does why does why does the criminal return to the scene of the crime? Or to give you a more highbrow version of this, what about since I'm a literary guy, what about the Scarlet Letter? Why does Dimsdale feel the need to rip open his jacket and expose his chest uh, in the middle of the night? Why does he do this? Because guilt is intolerable. There's no, well, maybe, maybe that's why you take Prozac. Maybe that's why you drink to anesthetize your conscience, but it doesn't go away. So I think that must be the prime motivation here. Why do, why do, uh, why do we have gay pride demonstrations? Does anyone seriously believe that these people are prevented from doing whatever they want to do? You're, you're telling me they're, they're actually gay guilt demonstrations? Of I, course, I've never of seen course these, they are. No, they no. People in like a leather jockstrap carrying a sign saying gay guilt, you know, no. <laughs> guilty to be gay. I've never seen that. No, of course they're not going to carry a sign saying that, but that's the whole point of the protest. You are you are engaged in activity that will cause guilt. There's no question about it. So how do you anesthetize guilt? By, by being shameless in public. That's how you anesthetize guilt. Same thing applies to abortion. 
Women who feel guilty, you have to feel guilt over abortion. You killed your own child. How do you deal with that? You can repent, okay, or you can mobilize with other women and march in public and be shameless about it because there's because misery loves company. So if you're Klaus Schwab and you're acting like Dr. Evil, uh, trying to take over the world, uh, creating leaders like Trudeau and, and, and Merkel and uh, and so on, then, you know, you uh, you assuage your guilt by basically coming out and confessing in public, which is what this Super Bowl ad seems to be doing. Uh, so so they're, I don't know, I still think it's, it's maybe Duper's Delight or the uh, revelation of the method, but your theory might have something to it, Mike. I, I call it the Dimsdale syndrome. The t-
custom calls me to it, what custom wills in all things should we do it. What must I say? Look, sir, my wounds, I got them in my country's service. Oh, me, the gods, you must not speak like that. You must desire them to think upon you. Think upon me? <laughs> Hang them. I would they would forget me. Bid them wash their faces and keep their teeth clean. should account me the more virtuous that I have not been common in my love. We hope to find you our friend, and therefore give you our voices heartily. I'll make much of your voices and so trouble you no further. Gods give you joy, sir. Heartily. Voices for your voices I have fought, watched for your voices, for your voices, bear of wounds, two dozen odd, battles, thrice six I have seen and heard of, for your voices have done many things. Some less, some more. Your voices. Indeed, I would be consul. He has done nobly and cannot go without any honest man's voice. Therefore, let him be consul. Amen! 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 Amen!